Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us is Karnak of the Weekly Standard, Bill Crystal, who almost nailed this election perfectly. And who knows, Bill, As depending on how the recount comes out in Virginia, you may have gotten a perfect sweep. I think I was a tiny bit too optimistic, um, but I'm very I was I was uncharacteristically optimistic, and this is a rare, rare case, I guess, in the last 10, 20 years for a conservative and a Republican, where it turned out to, that to be optimistic was to happen to, to guess it right. There was clearly a late break uh, to the Republicans, which you know accentuated what was already going to be a decent Republican year and turned it into a pretty big sweep. It, it really was. And other than New Hampshire, which once again, a out-of-state candidate showing up against a longtime, well-known, well-liked incumbent other than that, I mean, the Republicans really did everything that was achievable and then some. What's more amazing, Virginia in a recount or wins by Republicans in Massachusetts and Maryland and Illinois in the governor's mansions? No, I think those governor's wins are amazing. I always thought Virginia could be close, so I guess I'm not quite as amazed by that. I think the, the margins of the races is, is what really tells you is a wave election. Uh, lots, uh, clearly things just broke open at the end. But a lot of people thought Scott Walker might win. I thought he would win by a couple. His own team, I talked to them over the weekend, thought, you know, they could make it to maybe plus four. They thought they were doing well at the end, coming on a little bit from two to three to four. He won by seven, and that is replicated all over the place. Uh, incumbent Democratic senators losing, in the case of Arkansas, by 17 points, but in the case oh. of North Carolina, by what, seven points? And, and uh, in the case of Colorado, by, I think, seven or eight points. So it really, it was a pretty dramatic uh, defeat for the Democrats, a defeat for President Obama. And the media is trying already, in some ways, to minimize it. It's a little hard because of the magnitude of it, with all the House seat pickups as well, and the governors. That they could have sort of abandoned, I think, the line that, well, it's just anti-incumbent generally when all these Republican incumbent governors uh, turned out to win. Um, and now they're in sort of, well, the electorate was in a bad mood. There's no ideology in the, in the vote. There's certainly no mandate. God forbid the Republicans would take the vote seriously and think they have an agenda to do anything. Uh, sure, they've got to know that they've got to be nice guys when they get to Washington and terribly humble and not try to advance anything ambitious. I, I've been amused by the media attempts to um, sort of interpret in a postmodern way the results of this election and create their own narrative. I think it's going to be overwhelmed by reality, though. I, what, what seems to me is that the Republicans have this, once again, another opportunity to audition for the voters. And so they just got to bring it and do a good audition. And this notion that that audition means you either like Obama or don't like Obama. Or agree. I think that's all beside the point. If the Republicans bring something that the American people want and they act reasonably and intelligently ab- about trying to enact it and they don't go around calling people stupid names, which is, by the way, what Republicans usually they, they don't have. That's not really a problem for Republicans, but if they just do that. I think they'll be fine. No, I think that's well said. I hope they're listening to to both of us on this podcast, but that was a very good uh, piece of advice to them. I also think you can do more than one thing at once. You, right. know, you can advance a very big agenda. You can try to repeal Obamacare and replace it with an excellent conservative alternative. That's what Ed Gillespie ran on. It almost put him over the top in Virginia. And that's not going to happen. The president will, will veto it if it passes both houses of Congress. But that doesn't mean you can't also pass legislation, uh, getting rid of the employer mandate, getting rid of the individual mandate, doing other things that uh, deal with the worst parts of Obamacare, uh, that lay the groundwork for a broader uh, attempt to go after it in 2017 when you can really get rid of it. 
And the same is true in other areas. You're not going to repeal Dodd-Frank with President Obama there. You might be able to exempt the community banks from Dodd-Frank. You're not going to uh, radically, perhaps, transform American energy policy, but you can certainly get Keystone done. But you could also articulate the broader vision. So they need to do two things at once. The broader vision, the governing agenda for the future, and also mitigate the damage Obama's doing uh, and do some good practical things over the next two years. Okay, but before we get to the good governance stuff, let's stick with the gloating and schadenfreude. Yeah, I want to stick with that a while, okay? Got, Come on. I can't believe I even got distracted onto that. Exactly, that exactly. That was so terrible. The, the media people you were watching that you were having the most fun watching or sitting across from, there was a photo that I've found, a lot of people posted on in their new media, of Chris Matthews with his arms crossed, his dejected face, and there's a sign above him, Republican takeover, that I just think it really does say everything you need to know about how the media felt about last night. Look, I think, I mean, I know I've dealt with a lot of these guys, obviously. I know a lot of them, you know, I went into them, know some of them, friendly with a few of them. Um, the degree to which they had hopes in Obama, in a way that they hadn't had in a long time after, after 08, this was a new moment. This was the dawn of a new American liberalism that was going to transform the country. 2010 was a setback, but then Obama comes back and gets himself reelected in 2012. Pretty impressive. Republicans totally on the run. Republican elites, you know, uh, uh, shooting at Republican voters and, 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 and telling the Republican voters you have to give up on 20 different issues you care about. Uh, for, the, for them, the Republican voters and the Republican House, the House Republicans, they deserve a lot of credit for this, did not give up in fighting Obamacare, in fighting a uh, bad immigration bill, in sort of standing up as conservatives. And I think they've been vindicated by what happened uh, yesterday. And I think that's why the liberal media is so despondent. This, the, they've got to know deep down, maybe they can muscle Hillary Clinton to victory in 2016. I doubt it, but uh, they, they might think they might. But it's just not the same. They don't have the nation behind them on the transformative vision of Obama, either in domestic or foreign policy. And the reason they don't is that it's failed. They kind of knew it was failing, I guess, deep down. But the voters have really, I think, put an exclamation point after the failure of Obama's liberalism. And you ask yourself, as people say over and over again, well, Republicans have to change their policies because they've got to get into the identity politics business and the Democrats are showing you how with this, you know, winning coalition, this unbeatable coalition. And in fact, we've seen that in 2010 and 2014, that coalition isn't unbeatable because they just don't show up. So is the Democratic plan going forward, Bill, to simply renominate Barack Obama over and over and over again for president of the United States so that coalition will show up every two, every four years? I mean, they would like to do that. And look, I mean, we Republicans and conservatives, I suppose, shouldn't chortle. We've sort of, a lot of us have spoken as if we could just renominate Ronald Reagan over and over and over again. And, and that didn't happen. And in certain respects, the Reagan revolution, parts of it fizzled out. Parts of it were fantastically successful. But parts of it uh, fizzled out or follow-on parts of it fizzled out because... We, we sort of did have the delusion that it was just a matter of finding that that right person, and I think liberals are a little bit uh, indulging in that. But um, again, I come back to sort of reality and the blow that reality has given to liberal dreams. Doesn't mean incidentally that every part of liberalism is going to be set back, but on some pretty fundamental issues, on the big government nanny state, on Obamacare, on foreign policy, which was a pretty big issue, I think, in, in a lot of the Senate campaigns, and really damaged, I think, the Democratic Party in the sense that it was affiliated with Obama's weak and failing foreign policy. I think on those issues, conservatives have a great opportunity to 
set out a governing vision, as, as you were saying earlier. And the other thing I think that really struck the media guys, and I saw this a little bit on set even last night, uh, you know, you watch, you watch these little snippets from the acceptance speeches, and there's Joni Ernst, and she's young, and she's lively, and she's impressive, and she's funny, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, she ends up, she closes her little speech with a, repeating the thing about how she's going to go to Washington and make people squeal. Then you watch Cory Gardner, he's a little more earnest, but he's an impressive, attractive guy, ran a very good campaign in a swing state. And then you watch some of the other people, Tom Cotton, obviously in Arkansas, and, and you think... You know, if you're a liberal, it's like, geez, I thought we had the cool, witty, attractive, impressive young sure. people. I thought the Republicans were a bunch of 70-year-olds who kind of, you know, were in office 15 years ago and are trying to hang on. There are a few of those around, but really, you watch the stuff last night, and you, the returns last night, and the acceptance speeches last night, and you look at the bios of the people who are coming to Washington as Republicans, very hard to persuade yourself that the Republicans are the party of the past and the Democrats are the party of the future. Well, you know that Democrats have a problem when uh, Pat Roberts would be on the junior circuit of the Democratic incumbents if he were a Democrat. Uh, so that's a, a good point. Uh, I want to mention two races. Then I want to ask you to mention a couple races that either got you particularly excited or particularly disappointed. I'm very, very thrilled that Scott Walker was reelected. I think it says something about reform, making reform work, because they th- that was friendly ground for Democrats and unions. They had an unlimited amount of money to spend on him. And as you pointed out, he didn't just win, but he won comfortably. And then the other thing, and this is one of those bellwethers that, Bill, I just look at, and I'm gonna, now I'm going to unfairly lump you in, but you Washington elites, can you not tell what the voters are trying to tell you when in Oregon, pro-pot smoking, pro-legal you know, uh, uh, legal suicide Oregon, by a two-to-one margin, they vote down driver's licenses for illegal immigrants. Normal people don't want to reward bad behavior, and normal people don't want to make their sons and daughters compete with illegal labor for a decent job. How can the Republican elites and Democratic elites not see that message? Well, they can see it. They cannot see it by not wanting to see it. I couldn't agree more. If you actually talk to candidates around the country, the amnesty issue is powerful. I think Obama made a mistake by putting off his executive order and having it sort of hang over the election as right. something that could happen or would happen after election day, which meant, gee, you might, if you said Republicans, you might have a chance to check it or reverse it. Um, and I couldn't agree more that amnesty has become uh, really an important issue, I think, both substantively and politically for conservatives and Republicans. It hasn't just become one. It was one uh, and totally vindicated at the polls. Um, I think Obamacare is also another one where the, the media wants to say it didn't matter, except in, the re- in reality they ran a ton of ads on it. And it helped, you know, I think 15 uh, Democratic Senate seats that were held by senators who voted for Obamacare have now gone Republican in the last three elections. So I, I think the repeal and replacement of Obamacare remains central. Uh, yeah, but they really, the elites do not want to hear the message on immigration. And if, they, if the Republican elites try to jam through a bad immigration bill in the next two years, I think there will be hell to pay from conservative voters, and there should be. Uh, so the elections that got you particularly inspired or particularly disappointed last night, Bill? You know, I totally agree with you on Scott Walker. And it's one thing that occurred to me. I, I don't know if this is quite true. It seems to me he might have won last night by more than he won by. Right. He won by f- about five in a little bit in 2010. 
and then, then he won by five and a little bit again yes. when he had to do it last time. But I thought he was still around five. You said it's up to seven. I so it was uh, six or seven, but we whatever. I mean, let's even say it's the same. That's very right. impressive. I mean, right. the, the, he took the tough decisions. He governed. Um, he took the hit, the assaults. He took the unbelievable amount of money spent against him. And still, you know, not only did he win, but he didn't sort of hang on to it. He won by at least the same margin, maybe a little more. I, I think, Walker, you've just got to put in the absolute top tier now of possible presidential candidates. Obviously, Virginia was, I live there, I had been touting Gillespie's chances to lose if he did by about 12,000 votes is, on the one hand, very disappointing, but very heartening that he ran so well. And he did run a, a policy-heavy campaign, a reform conservative campaign, but an unembarrassedly conservative campaign also. That was impressive, I think, uh, and shows, you know, that, that, that he was so far behind and outspent and uh, still almost, almost pulled that off. So that was good. Some of the house races, I did a little event here in New York City, which is where I am now, about two, three weeks ago for a young guy named Lee Zeldin, 35 years old. I served in Iraq, state senator for, I think, one or two terms, just four years, I think, in New York, who defeated an incumbent, Tim Bishop, out on the east end of Long Island in about a 50-50 district, uh, won by about six points. Again, he's got no press at all, but there's a 35-year-old articulate in this right. Jewish Republican, uh, war, uh, war vet, uh, coming to the House, Elise Stefanik upstate. I think we've talked about her once or twice. She's 30, and she won by 20 points. So, again, I, uh, the quality of the candidates who won is, uh, uh, is heartening, I think, for the future. And which brings us to, of course, and apparently this is some sort of law that I'm not, that, that I can't source, Bill, but we're not allowed to have this conversation without talking about 2016. I think, I I think the, the clock began, mandatory 2016 talk began at midnight last night. So is this meaningful at all in 2016, or is it simply going to be, okay, two years later, different election, states that are more blue rather than red, uh, presidential year, Hillary Clinton is inevitable, and so whatever the Republicans have, enjoy it now because you're going to lose it all in two years. I mean, look, the electorate will be somewhat different, and there's some history of parties doing well in midterms and then losing the next presidential. There's also a history of them doing well in midterms and then winning the next presidential. 2006, 2008 would be a model of that. So, But, of course, it does mean something, and I think it puts more pressure on Hillary Clinton. The country is hostile to Obama, not just the electorate from last night, of yesterday, but the broader electorate. And she was a key player in President Obama's administration, and the part of his administration that's going as badly as any other Ignore all these sirens in the background. They're not coming to get me. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, the part of his policy, the, one of the, the set of his policies is doing as badly, maybe worse than any other, is foreign policy. And she was intimately involved in that. Plus, the older Democrats, the sort of last generation Democrats, the Mark Pryors, uh, they didn't do so well yesterday. So I don't know. I'd be a little worried if I were a Democratic strategist and if they feel they're sort of, it's Hillary, there's no choice, there's no alternative, that's what it's going to be. Uh, they're going to sort of spend two years trudging along with Hillary Clinton while Republicans get to have an interesting and lively uh, contest among six, eight, ten candidates, a lot of them young, interesting, sort of different. Uh, I kind of like Republican chances for 2016. Uh, and you you make the point about the age and the energy, and you're absolutely right. I mean, when the old guys in the race are the Marco Rubios and Rand Pauls, you know, that's, flat, that's pretty amazing. And by the way, I was able to check the numbers and – you, uh, Scott Walker did increase his margin from 2010 to 2014, despite that shellacking. Another name you have, I haven't heard much, John Kasich. I mean, if yeah. you're a Republican and you win Ohio handily, don't you have to be on the short list of potential nominees? Yeah, no, I think Kasich and Walker will both run now, and Kasich will be a little more moderate than Walker, but both successful Midwestern governors 
in a pure swing state in Kasich's case and in a, in a Democratic-leaning state in Walker's case. I think you've got to put them high up. Obviously, a whole bunch of senators will be running. Other governors will run. Former governors, former this, former that. I just think my instinct, though, is after last yesterday, the market for the former this and former that is less great than the market for people who have been engaged in the fight and have been succeeding in the fight. And that's where either a senator who's made a mark or a governor who's made a mark and gotten himself reelected. I mean, that, that's, I kind of think, where Republican primary voters will want to be in 2016. Well, listen, I just have one last question for you after the way you racked up the predictions yesterday. Got any lottery ticket numbers for me? You know what? I think these things, you only get lucky once, and I'm now going to lose the next. <laughs> a, I'll make a bunch of bad predictions, and B, well, if, I, if, I, if I'm foolish enough to enter any lotteries, I'll be even more more certain not to win than I usually am. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast, and congratulations again on a great night and great calls. Well, thank you, Michael. It's, it's a good time to talk. Let's hope we have more happy occasions like this. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.